We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. Good morning. If you're listening to public radio this morning, there's a good chance you grew up, at least most of the way, without a smartphone or social media. The mistakes you made when you were young don't linger as a digital footprint. Today, kids and families are navigating a constantly changing minefield of what to share and what to keep private online. This holiday season, you may be asking friends and family to pause before they post, to refrain from widely sharing photos of your kids, or to ask permission first. One source of guidance is Devorah Heitner, Ph.D. She's written two books on parenting and technology, ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World, and her latest, Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. Parents want their children to be safe online and responsible with technology, but Heitner writes that too often they rely on surveillance. When we spoke in October, I asked Heitner how parents are surveilling their kids. Well, there are a number of options for surveillance. One is Life360 that a lot of folks are using to geotrack members of their family where you can observe people who have opted into your circle and see them on a map. Another method that people use sometimes is tracking their kids' texts or reading their communications, which you can do with various apps. And geotracking also, there's other apps you can use. And I think a lot of parents believe that they should be doing these things because they can, right? The fact that we can track our kids' location or we can read their texts means to be good, thoughtful parents, to really take care, to make sure our kids are safe, we should do these things. And how, com- how common is it? It's it's very common. I mean, n- many parents are not doing these things. But, for example, with grade tracking, which is a third kind of tracking, almost all schools around the country are encouraging parents to use grading portals to track their kids' grades. And that means that parents have a much deeper window into their kids' sort of day-to-day, like not just what did they get for the semester, but what did they get on each assignment, each quiz, each piece oh. of homework. And that's a lot of information to have about your child in, for example, middle school or high school. What do kids think about this monitoring? Kids are really mixed on it. So I will say there are some kids who are kind of blasé about especially the geo-tracking. They're like, well, my parents track me. I don't love it, but I guess it's okay. The text tracking makes them more frustrated. They, they feel like it's a huge invasion of their privacy. They don't think their parents should be reading their texts. And they feel like if their friends knew that they were so surveilled that they wouldn't be open with them, right? Because it's not just a one-way communication. And with grade tracking, a lot of kids told me stories about very frustrating interactions with their parents where their parents knew that they got a zero on something before they did or believed that they knew, but maybe the teacher just hadn't entered the grade yet. And they came home and their parents were sort of pouncing on them, like, why did you get this? Why did you get that? And if you can imagine, like, if you got some kind of feedback at work and your spouse knew before you were even home and said, like, oh, why did you, why did that presentation at 11 a.m. not go well? Like, while you're walking in the door, before you can even tell them, it's not a great feeling, right? And and sometimes it leads to really big misunderstandings between teenagers and their parents. Well, you mentioned some parents engage in surveillance because they can and therefore think they should. For most parents, why do they do this kind of surveillance? What are they afraid of? 
A lot of us are nervous about something bad happening to our kid. I mean, we live in a world where there's school shootings. We live in a world where we hear about other kinds of bad things happening to kids. And so there's just a general anxiety, I think, especially in the wake of the pandemic, where families feel like they just more information would be better. And what happens is instead, more information can actually lead to more anxiety. It feels like the more you know, the less anxious you'll be. But in fact, for many parents, being able to kind of pour over their kids' location data, for example, might raise questions about really innocuous things. Or in a dense area, you know, like this one, there are a lot of situations where it can look like you're in one place, but you're actually in another. You know, you're in a building that has multiple floors or... And knowing your kid's location or even reading their texts is less of a window into their soul than you might think it is. Like you you can know your kids at the library, but do you know if they're doing their AP US history homework or are they vaping in the bathroom? Like what are they actually doing there, <laughs> right? You, and, and I'm not suggesting that we get to that next level of surveillance either. I'm just saying that we can tell ourselves we know what's going on with our kids, but really the best way to know what's going on with our kids is having a strong relationship with them. Let's zoom out a bit. The nonprofit Common Sense Media reports that one-third of eight- and nine-year-olds have their own smartphones. So do more than two-thirds of 12- and 13-year-olds. How do you know when your child is ready for their own cell phone? Ideally, kids don't need a phone until they're doing a lot independently without adults, right? So if an eight-year-old is home alone, which may not be the case for a lot of eight-year-olds, but if you have an eight-year-old who's home alone, maybe they do sort of need a phone, right? But if you have a kid who is just going from home to school and they're in a community where they're walking with other kids or there's a crossing guard, it's not clear that they sort of need a phone for their safety. Uh, I would say they're ready for a phone when they're ready to start making their own social plans, Certainly, most teenagers are texting their own friends. Their parents aren't making their social plans for them. And you kind of want to work your way down from that. Kids who are home alone, kids who have responsibility for other kids after school. You know, if your middle schooler is babysitting their elementary school sibling, well, they probably do need a phone to be able to call for help if they need it or that kind of thing. Or if you have a kid taking a lot of public transit, that kind of thing. So I would look for independence. And I would also look for social readiness. If you have a kid who's not super impulsive if you have a kid who's not going to blow up their relationships, you know, by sending an ill-considered text. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Devorah Heitner, who writes about parenting and technology. Her latest book is Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. Kids can start using social media apps when they're 13. Um, How should parents approach such apps? It's really important to start talking with kids, especially if they're kind of app curious, even before they get to the age where they have their own account. So if you use social media, you can share with them experiences you've had where maybe you saw people hanging out without you and felt a little bit sad or left out and how you dealt with that. Or if you saw a conflict emerge on social media and saw people dealing with it in ways that were either healthy or maybe not healthy you might want to share those experiences with a child. And finally, we all have experiences with the algorithm, kind of knowing our preferences or knowing things even that we've purchased. And so we want to start raising that algorithmic understanding for our kids so they understand, hey, if you click on toxic content, you might get fed even more of it. So these are some things I don't want you to click on. And these are all conversations we can have with kids before they even get their own social accounts And I would really work with them in those years on getting good and comfortable with texting and making sure their texting literacy is strong because a lot of our 
focus is on social media. I think a lot of parents are nervous about it. And we kind of neglect texting. So I'd work on their texting skills first. And then if you want to allow one app when you think they're ready, when they're 13 or whenever you think they're ready, you could. But I would definitely also go with one app at a time so they can kind of learn the habits and modes of that app, think carefully about who they want to follow on that app. I don't think we want to open the door to 13-year-olds to be on like five apps at once because that's just, for most kids, going to be overwhelming. What do kids gain when parents let them have privacy online? Kids gain a sense of trust in the relationship with their parents, that they can come to their parents with things as they need help. But if they have the privacy to walk home after school without being geotracked and they know they can like stop somewhere, for example, and visit with a friend or chat with somebody that they run into on the playground before they come home and their parents aren't filled with fear about that, that gives kids a sense of agency and autonomy that can suit them really well. It also helps kids be ready to do things like ask for directions if they're lost and not have their parents proactively say, hey, it seems like you're you know, crossing to a different side of the street than you usually do. Is everything OK? Right. We don't want to kind of intervene too actively to save our kids from every potential mishap because then they miss the opportunity to experiment with asking for directions or figuring out what to do if their phone dies and their GPS isn't working. We don't want to be over-reliant on apps. Well, it's hard even for adults to remember that social media is highly curated. How can parents help kids It's great. These? Yeah. I mean, it's great to always remember that social media is a performance. And that's why I think Be Real didn't do that well. Like, you know, the, the idea that we're all going to show pictures of ourselves not looking cute or unloading the dishwasher, you know, which is like real life, of yeah. course, or, you know, cleaning the cat box or whatever. But most of our lives is real life and unloading not the glamorous. dishwasher and not the top of the mountain with our hair looking cute. And so it's important to remind kids of that. And then when we see those kinds of images, to even say, oh, I'm getting wistful looking at everyone's vacation pictures. And it's so easy to focus on that those mountaintop photos and forget the hours of fighting in the car and all the stress of packing and all the things we don't show. And just, just to remind kids that if they're looking at other people's posts and feeling a little bit like their life isn't a highlight reel, that the apps are kind of designed to make us feel that way. And we may want to take either a break or remind ourselves of the of the realness of life or do something, you know, that connects us to the people in the here and now that's not just scrolling. When does close monitoring of, of a child's text and other Internet activity, when does that make sense? If a kid is in crisis or if they are a very new user those are two situations. For example, if with a new user, I still wouldn't do covert monitoring. I would sit down with, say, an 11-year-old learning to text. I would sit down with them maybe once a week, look at their texts with them, help them get it right, help them figure out who they should be in contact with. I, I don't think most fifth and sixth graders should make those decisions completely independently of their parents. Um, their parents should know everyone on their contacts list at that age if they do have a phone at all. And so in those in those situations, some monitoring might make sense. But again, it's not covert. It's not putting an app on the child's phone. It's actually sitting down with them and looking at it. If I had a child who was just coming home from an inpatient stay or was in imminent mental health crisis, I might work with the child or the teenager and their therapist to come up with a plan for what kind of monitoring made sense. Even then, I, I wouldn't necessarily monitor every communication, but I might we might look at, oh, certain apps maybe have been problematic for you in the past. Maybe we need to limit your time on that app, or maybe you want to use that app in the living room and not up in your bedroom, that kind of thing, to make sure that kids are able to re-enter the social media world in a way that's safe for them if they've really struggled with mental health. 
So it's kind of a partnership. Exactly. I mean, we're mentoring our kids, not just monitoring. And mentoring feels like a lot more work because we're teaching in an ongoing way and helping kids learn to repair mistakes. But I think monitoring can also provide parents with a false sense of security. Like, it might seem like you know what's going on if you're reading all their texts, but how you really know what's going on is having that relationship with your kid where they can turn to you. We need to take a short break. We're talking with Devorah Heitner, author of Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. When we're back, when mom and dad overshare online, I'm Sheila Gass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Surveillance is no substitute for deep conversations about how your children represent themselves and interact on social media. That's a central point Devorah Heitner makes in her latest book, Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. When we spoke in October, I noted that much of Heitner's book is about helping kids navigate the Internet responsibly, but she also points out that sometimes it's mom or dad who is oversharing online. Heitner suggests coming up with a family policy about what gets posted. I asked her what that policy might say. It's very important that everyone in the family gives consent before they are pictured or videoed online. You know, we don't want to share images or stories about our kids online without their consent because that takes away their agency and it can take away their trust and even their feeling of being a private person at home. So say you have a kid who loves to belt out show tunes when they're at home because that's what that's their happy place and they feel safe and private doing it there. If you show that video to your all your friends and admirers on Facebook or Instagram, some of their friends' parents might see it, and therefore some of their friends might see it. And you might have just exposed your kid's kind of private show tune habit to their classmates, and you might think nothing of it. You might think, well, this is adorable. Of course, why would this be a problem for my kid? But that might completely undermine their fifth grade street cred in a way that you haven't thought about. And that might make them edit themselves in the future. Ideally, by asking permission, we're setting our kids up to know that that should be a norm with social media and sharing in the future, including with their friends, that they should be able to say no if a friend asks to share their picture. And they should know if they're taking a picture when they're out with friends, that they should say, hey, is it okay if I post this? And what age are you talking about involving kids in, in giving permission? By seven or eight, ideally, I would be asking, especially if they're already starting to say no or be self-conscious. If that's not the case and you're maybe less frequent share, it might be an older age. But definitely, if you think there's any chance your kid at their most self-conscious, like say you're currently five, but you're going to be one day 13, might not want that video or picture to be out there, then I would, you know, if in doubt, don't share it out is my rule. So if I'm not sure how my kid will feel about it one day and I don't either, either I can't ask them because they're three or I can't ask because, you know, for whatever reason, I would just make my own best edits. But certainly a nine or 10 year old is very capable of saying, yeah, put that up or don't. And sometimes I'll just complicate this a little more. Sometimes kids might ask you to share something, especially if you've shown them a lot of likes on previous posts about them and you might think the better. So your kid, for example, 
might be wearing a, a bathing suit. Maybe you don't want to post them in a bathing suit and they are doing cool tricks. And you might say, you know what, I'm just going to have that video for the family. And you don't have to even explain that to your kid because there's no reason they should feel weird about wearing a bathing suit. It's just that you might not want that image on the Internet because of the ways we know people can misuse those kinds of images. So you might just say, well, I'm going to take this video for grandma, right, and show it to grandma. But it doesn't need to go to everyone in the world. And I think that's an important distinction for parents as well. And you recommend that everyone periodically review what they've posted. Absolutely. Because, again, you don't want your kid to get to 13 or 15 and suddenly see all your old posts and be upset with you. And sometimes you may have shared things that, in retrospect, you realize might have been a little too personal. I think a lot of us, I became a parent in 2009. Facebook was just becoming popular among my peers. A lot of us shared things without really thinking about who the audience was going to be. I know that's the same for a lot of people who got started on things like Tumblr or Twitter and even Instagram in the early days, and so are YouTube. So it's worth going back and reviewing now that all of those apps have grown incredibly as platforms and gotten so much bigger to say, hey, do I still want this out there? Is this something I'm still comfortable with leaving searchable in public? That's Devorah Heitner, author of Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. On the record on WIPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about helping children and families communicate about healthy boundaries for Internet and social media use. You describe an ongoing dialogue parents should have with their children about Internet use, including tough topics like pornography and sexting. What what tips do you have for parents who aren't sure how to start those conversations? It can be really tough to talk about the things that we weren't raised to comfortably discuss with our children. And if you really can't, then for sure their pediatrician or someone else needs to have those important conversations just so they can stay safe and navigate the way their body is changing over time, navigate consent and other important relationship issues. So at minimum, those those conversations need to be happening. And especially we know that there's real limits in terms of what gets taught in school. And with the pandemic, you know, important things got missed. My own kid, you know, was out of school in fifth grade because of the pandemic. And that was the year they did sex ed. So it was like, oh, we'll just skip that whole generation of kids. We'll just <laughs> not tell them anything. We'll see how that goes. We'll do this broad social experiment because they don't want to do it on Zoom. They didn't feel comfortable with it. So they just skipped it. Uh, and that leaves me in a bind. But, obvi- you know, I made a choice to obviously share in my own family. But I think every family needs to make sure and, and not to just assume, oh, my kid learned that at school. It's very important. We don't want kids to look to pornography for information about sex, relationships, body, sexual orientation, gender identity. Pornography is a very dangerous and also misleading set of images and and ideas that can be really confusing and scary for kids. So we don't want that. And sexting is also a confusing situation. You know, it's illegal here in Maryland, as it is in most states, to share images of, you know, of yourself as a minor with others. But um, what we see more often is a social and privacy cost for kids, not a legal cost, which I I, I believe is a good thing. I don't think, you know, 15-year-olds who consensually share images should have a legal penalty. Um, But there are social and privacy penalties that kids pay. So we need to be having the proactive you know, don't sext conversation, of course, don't send nudes, don't send, you know, underwear pictures. But we also need to have the more complicated conversation of if you ever have shared an image, but it's getting circulated, you have rights. 
And that's not okay for someone to do. And also, you should never be part of sharing an image of someone else that they haven't consented to be shared. You should never cajole, harass, threaten someone into sending an image or sharing an image. Um, You should never share an image unbidden with someone who's not expecting or wanting it. And these are all really, really important things we need to talk with kids about. And no parent on earth wants to have this conversation. You can be very progressive and sex positive parent, but I don't think anybody's like eager to chat about sexting or pornography with their children. But we must have these conversations because kids can access all of this stuff so easily. Back on sharing, uh, parents can refrain from sharing information or photos of their children, and, and they can ask extended family to do the same. They can't have that kind of conversation directly with tech companies. Is is there a clear way for parents to push social media platforms to take privacy more seriously? I mean, that's the literally million-dollar question right now because school districts and other organizations are suing social media companies to try to get them to be more responsive to complaints, to you know, complaints about things like impersonation accounts and images of kids that shouldn't be up. You know, age verification is a very hot issue right now. So. I think there's not that much individually parents can do other than decide their own child is maybe going to wait certainly till 13, but 13 is certainly not a magic age. Maybe they want to wait longer in some cases or, again, being in conversation with their kids about how they're using. It's very different to use an app just to message a few friends versus having, you know, a lot of public posts on that app. So there's different levels of and ways of engaging with each app. And it's worth getting to know the apps your children are using to understand how they're using it, and what their experience is like. Ultimately, yes, I think parents should be invested in things like the right to be forgotten, like kids in the UK have, where they can take things down that were up on the internet about them before they were 18. Uh, that would be a great thing for US parents to be working towards, but I, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see that happen, but I, I do think these collective lawsuits are a way that parents and educators are trying to push back on these companies. You don't see any movement um, for a right to be forgotten in the U.S.? Well, California had something related. California often, which is funny because it's sort of the belly of the beast in Silicon Valley, but it's also a state that has done some of the most privacy regulation in the U.S. So I think we can look to California to see if they have you know, a few good privacy rights. But in, in reality, the way the U.S. works, it's very hard to give rights privacy rights to someone in one state because the apps don't even always know where you live. That's I wrote on my own Substack um, recently about the Utah laws, which are these uh, the ideas that parents are supposed to step into a much more supervisory role of all kids under 18 on social media in Utah in the coming year. And this is another way the state is trying to push back on the power of these companies. But I think in that case, it's quite misguided. Because how will how will the social media companies know, like, why can't a kid in Utah just sign up for Instagram without their parents' permission and say they live in Nevada? Like, how how does Instagram know where you live, right? They don't. They certainly can't age verify. We, we know quite well that they, you know, eight-year-olds can do the math to figure out how to be 13 if you can add five to your age, you know? Well, we've talked about a whole lot of concerns, but you also emphasize the Internet offers kids a lot of positive opportunities. What is, what is the upside you see? The upside is that kids are sharing about their identities in ways we never did. They're sharing about things that were stigmatized, like mental health issues. They're sharing about LGBTQ plus identities. They're sharing about experiences of surviving gender-related and race-related harms, 
right? So like when you look at schools that have black at accounts, for example, where kids are talking about microaggressions they've experienced, uh, these are really profound ways that kids are breaking down taboos and moving past the stigmas that we experienced when we were kids. I mean, I was in therapy as a teenager for depression, and I never would have shared with anyone at the time. And I didn't have to be told it was stigmatized. No one said, don't tell anyone you're in therapy, Devorah. I just figured it out from the culture in the 90s. And I didn't tell anyone. And now the fact that kids are sharing about mental health on social media, on TikTok, you know, I think is a positive. I'm grateful for this conversation. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you. Devorah Heitner's latest book is Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. We spoke in October. If you missed part of this conversation, you can catch it by going to wypr.org to listen or download the On the Record podcast. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. 